Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by every other game of football around the world compared to my Championship Playoff Final. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm absolutely buzzing, actually. It was a cracking Playoff Final. It was a cracking day at Wembley for everybody. And it wasn't the the boring fixture I thought we were going to get. I thought we were going to get a very tempestuous affair. But we've got so much to break down and talk about which has also left me with a smile on my face. Uh, you say you're buzzing. I'm knackered. Just watching it again, <laughs> was, it was, oh, it was, it was just, it was just tiring, wasn't it? it, every, it was. There was so much drama, and it was just going on for so long. I just, I, I was down to my knuckles by the end of it, biting my fingers so much. It was, <laughs> oh dear. I mean, we were speaking in the expert preview, weren't we, about how the playoff finals in recent years have been quite one-sided maybe or the alternative is it's just been a very nervy affair with Mm. not much quality this was probably the best playoff final we've had in a long time and people may think we're just saying that because it's recency bias but it genuinely was one of the most exciting playoff finals I think we've ever had I I can't disagree with that Uh, so yeah I can't disagree with it It's, it's a brilliant point I think the amount of chances, that, I mean, we'll break it down in further detail, but the amount of chances Luton had in the first half, the amount of chances Coventry had in the second half, we've had three disallowed goals. Ah, yeah, it was just a, an incredible, an incredible playoff final. I know 1-1's not a very big scoreline. You're very rarely going to get a big scoreline in a, in, a, in a cup final, apart from if it's you know a crazy one like the Istanbul in 2005, but in the Champions League, not playoffs, but that is... Um, it was yeah, it was it was a remarkable playoff final, and um, yeah, a lot of people outsiders, probably non-championship fans, were criticising the fixture, saying it's a boring teams. No, this this was perfect. This was two teams going at it, knowing exactly what the stakes were at the end of it, and not giving a flying f how they got there. It was incredible. It was good. Let's have a deep dive into it, Justin. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we're going to talk about that playoff final. Congratulations to Luton Town. Commiserations to Coventry City. We'll have a deep dive into that game. Talk about what it means for both teams next season. Um, how the, how we think Luton will do in the Premier League. How we think Coventry will do in another season in the championship. We'll also talk about some of the news from the past few days, including the impending appointment of Russell Martin at Southampton plus a couple of other bits then we'll finish off with Simon Grace and Tate for late right at the end so Luton Town a Premier League they won the playoff final after beating Coventry City on penalties I'm not really sure where to start Justin Um, I suppose we'll start with the penalties that shootout was incredible wasn't it the standard of penalties was brilliant the goalkeepers 
didn't get near any of them. It's always interesting to to really sort of look into it and go, well, are the penalties that good or are the keepers just not very good at saving penalties? Um, but the penalties were good. I think the one I was most assured about was, was Liam Kelly. I was like, you're going to side foot this into the bottom corner. There's there's nothing more more obvious here. And he did with with with, with um, perfect execution. Ben Sheik's penalty was, was incredible as well. There were some really good penalties. And this Joe Taylor as well. Joe Taylor stepped up for, for a penalty after having a goal disallowed. Yeah, it takes some takes some cojones to do that um, to, to to bounce back uh, and yeah take a very composed penalty. Um, it was it was a good shootout. Yeah, well worth the admission fee I think for a lot of the neutrals. But I imagine from a supporter's perspective, it was it was just pure pain for ten minutes. Yeah, and it's hard not to feel extremely sorry for mm. Frank Carty Darbo, isn't it? He's been such a good player for Coventry for such a long time now. So for him to be the person who misses the penalty is really sad. But, I mean, think back to when Huddersfield won the playoffs in 2017. Mm. That was a penalty shootout, wasn't it? That was the last time it was decided in a shootout. The winning kick was Christoph Schindler, wasn't it? Yeah. And that's the moment Huddersfield fans will have watched a thousand times since then. I can't even remember who missed for Reading. Unfortunately for Darbo, Luton fans are going to be watching him miss a thousand times. So it's wretched luck, but someone's got to miss, I suppose, haven't they? And it seems a bit mad, really, that... All of the season's hard work can come down to a few kicks of a football into a goal, but it's just the way it works, isn't it? Um, Let's talk about the game itself. Luton had a deserved lead in the first half, didn't they? Coventry really did not play well at all in that first 45 minutes. Then they were much better in the second half. I'd say Luton probably edged it over 90 minutes. Is that a fair assessment, Justin? It probably is. I mean, just the sheer amount of chances they created in the first half alone, they should have been at least three up on a Coventry came back in the second half but you'd have thought maybe with those disallowed goals that they got into much better positions throughout the game the Coventry sustained pressure was there as well it was a really good final performance I think from Luton it was a good reaction from Coventry in the second half but if we're talking about readiness for Wembley Benjamin Bloom said it in the preview episode the expert preview episode that the readiness of playing at Wembley is so important so so important and I think Luton were much more prepared and that's why they came out so quickly so so quickly and Again, bouncing back from you know several incidents in the first half, disallowed goals, and they, they kept sustaining that pressure. It was a really good first half performance. Naturally, I think there's going to be a drop off in the second half, and that allowed Coventry back into it. But yeah, I think Luton on the whole probably deserved the um, the points that the the win of the game, the winning game. I don't really know how to to phrase that. They but deserved the win in the night. They deserved the win, but I mean. Both teams are very good. You've not been able to separate these teams throughout the course of the season. They drew both games in the league, drew this one. I think that's very fitting. Yeah, I'm not sure I've seen a team have so many goals disallowed in one game. I mean, how many (laughs) did they have ruled out? I'm not saying any of them should have been allowed, but they did have the ball in the back of the net on so many occasions. I mean, the drama of that Joe Taylor goal in extra time was just crazy when he scored I thought that was it and so did seemingly everyone else and then when it got ruled out I think there was just this huge sigh from me because we had to endure the torment of tension for a bit longer would have been interested to see by the way whether that goal would have stood if it wasn't for VAR because I feel as if Michael Oliver may have allowed it and just decided to let VAR have a look at it instead of ruling it out himself but I suppose we gave VAR plenty of stick with last season's final. To be fair, I think it did well here. It worked. Yeah, it worked. It worked fine. I mean, even in the Osho one, you're thinking, I think it was offside, not a push. I don't. I can't quite remember now. 
But they are showing one in the first half where uh, he's literally just got a, a, a foot. I think he's offside. Yeah, mm. his foot's offside. Um, you know, that's where it's working well. It's working well. I think it was Adebayo. Um, Doyle kicks a ball into his hand. It's just it's just bad looking from a Luton perspective and good look from a Coventry perspective. That VAR's worked incredibly well because obviously if it was last season, you know, Luton could have been 4-1 up or 3-1 <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, would have been interesting to see what would have happened if VAR wasn't there. I know we were criticising it actually not too long ago because Mm -hmm. of the farce of last season. And it still feels a bit weird to me that it's used in the final, but not in any of the other games. But But it worked. Yeah, it did work. As I say, I'm not sure what would have been given and what would have not been given if VAR wasn't there. Michael Oliver's a very good referee, isn't he? Having said that, there was one moment where I think it was Jordan Clark went down after a challenge by Ben Wilson. Mm -hmm. Clark actually got a yellow card for it, but there was contact. Mm -hmm. I wasn't completely convinced about that one, but Luton got the win in the end, didn't they? Speaking of unconvincing, Ethan Horvath had a few dodgy moments in the Luton goal, didn't he? At the start of the second half, it was like he got bored and decided to start inviting pressure. Uh, we did highlight him as a bit of a concern in the we did. expert preview last Wednesday, didn't we? And he, he didn't do a whole lot to convince us otherwise, did he? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was one of them where, I mean, the obvious... Um, the obvious comparison is when you're playing pro clubs and someone who's in control of the keeper gets a little bit bored and they start bringing them out and making some rash decisions. But to be fair to him, um, he's been a solid keeper all season. He's had, he's had his moments. Maybe could have done a little bit better with the Hamer goal, but I think it took a deflection yeah, from Osho. Yeah. Um, so that might be a bit harsh, but nonetheless, it doesn't matter because Luton came out with the win and none of those mistakes were punished. No, they weren't. Luton's first goal came from Jordan Clark, although Elijah Adebayo rightly has a massive A next to that goal. Justin, I think that may very well be the best assist in championship history because he has absolutely turned Cal McFadden inside out. It's one of those moments where, and it's such lazy analysis from me, but it, it's a bit, it's, if Lionel Messi did that assist, it would be everywhere and be regarded as one of Messi's best moments. From that moment where Adebayo, first picks up the ball on the touchline. If you said he's setting up the opening goal from here, you'd be like, what on earth are you talking about? So a remarkable bit of skill. And he never looked like losing the ball when from the moment he mm. controlled it. It was amazing. I think that the key thing here is how easy he made it look against McFadden, who I've praised extensively this season. He's, he's such a good defender for Coventry. Um, but but Adebayo made him look his age. And it's not a crit- well, it is a criticism, but... I think it's just to highlight the brilliant play from Adebayo is that he collected the ball in the channel, had the composure to bring it back inside and his weight of pass to Jordan Clark's, in Jordan Clark's path, who's running at a decent speed. So then, you know, he's got to take his touch and compose himself to shoot. But it's Adebayo's work that gets Clark into that situation. I think tactically as well, it stretched, uh, it stretched Coventry. It stretched Coventry massively and you know, there was a disorganisation and that's down to Luton's uh, style of play really... Um, Getting into the, 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 the not, the, not um, the nitty gritty of how how commentary was stretched, but they exploited the space um, twice with Adebayo getting into the channel and then playing it into Jordan Clark, who who again had the composure to finish. It was a really good assist, as you're saying, really good work from a, a, a very unselfish player. Yeah, the funny thing is he missed such a massive chance afterwards, <laughs> yeah. which really would have uh, seen Luton probably go 
win, win the game in the 90 minutes. Uh, Coventry equalised through probably the most predictable route. It was either going to be Jokeres setting up Hamer or Hamer setting up Jokeres once it, and it was the former in this case. What a ball by Callum Doyle, by the way, for the Coventry equaliser. That was sumptuous. Anything else on this game, Justin, that caught your eye? Well, uh, going to the goal, uh, Coventry goal, I highlighted that Giocares was going to exploit the space behind Cody Drame. He did, and he came back to come out to close him down. Hamer, um, then it got into that space, infiltrated the space that was left by Nakamba, and he picked it, picked a brilliant shot out. Um, I just wanted to see a little bit more from Coventry. I, th- I go back to that readiness of the occasion. I thought Luton had more of it. Um, and I think Gus Hamer going off in the second half as well really, really um, stopped Coventry in their tracks a little bit, really disrupted their momentum going forward. But good game nonetheless. Deserved winners, Luton. Yeah, disappointing for Coventry, but they're a club that are on the up, so I wouldn't take this as a big, big, big blow. Yeah. Of course, we send our best wishes to Luton captain Tom Lockyer, who collapsed early on in the game. It was a very scary moment when a player goes down like that. It's never a good sign, but thankfully, he seems to be all right. He stayed in hospital overnight and was watching the game. Maybe it was something to do with the occasion. I don't know. I won't want to speculate too much, but I think everyone associated with Luton Town is just thankful he's okay. So Luton are a Premier League side. Unbelievable, Justin. Ten years ago... They finished seventh in the conference, but have become the first team to go from the top flight to non-league and the top flight again. We'll talk more about how we think they'll do in the Premier League just in shortly, but it's an incredible achievement, isn't it? It really is. not It's kind of weird being a championship podcaster. and I feel a sense of pride that Luton have gone into, into the Premier League because... Yeah, you know, even Coventry. If Coventry went up as well, it'd be exactly the same because these these two clubs have been through so much over the last ten, fifteen years. So for them to come out the other side of it and it be a positive outcome for for both sides. I know Coventry didn't get promoted, but they got to a playoff final. It's absolutely massive. And Luton, importantly, they've got the opportunity to really propel that football club, really propel it. So for them to be in the Premier League, be able to put themselves on a map, not just for their Away end, I think it's a really, really good opportunity for for them. They've had they've had a, you know, really good academy players come through in the past as well, which is important to point out. So they're a club on the map, likes of Jack Wilshire, James Justin, etc. They all come through Luton. They are a, a not a sleeping giant, but there's so much potential with this football club. So so much potential for this football club, and um, this is going to unlock it. I think. Yeah, I watched Luton a few times when they were in the conference. John Still <laughs> was in charge. I saw them play the likes of Southport and Woking. Don't think anyone at that point thought they'd be anywhere near the Premier League in 10 years' time. So it's the most remarkable rise by a football club ever. Uh, I don't think we'll see anything like it ever again. Ultimately, you've just got to sing the praises of the people who run the club. Managers mm. come and go, players come and go. But the constant at the club has been the people who make the decisions. The CEO, Gary Sweet, has been there since taking them out of administration. Mick Harford done an unbelievable job in charge of recruitment since 2016. There's probably many others who I should be mentioning as well. But pound for pound, Luton are, for me, the best run club in the country. The recruitment, the managers doing it on a shoestring budget... They've barely put a foot wrong, and that's why they are now a Premier League side. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about what next for Luton and Coventry next season. Then we'll finish off with some news from the past week. (music) 
Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. So let's talk about the two teams who are involved in the playoff final and talk about what it means for them not being in the Premier League or being in the Premier League. And we'll start off with Luton because, I mean, Luton being in the Premier League is just a ridiculous achievement, isn't it? How do you think they will do in the top tier, Justin? We must always caveat this by saying it's very early days and who knows what will happen between now and August. But what do you think? Well, I go back to previous years when when clubs who have gone, you know, sort of beating the odds or have gone up with really low budgets and they've been actually, you know, a breath of fresh air. But I don't think that's the case for Luton. I don't think they're going to want to go up and be a breath of fresh air. They don't want to be hit with that sort of cliche of a, of a small club, quote unquote, small club going into the Premier League, um, a bit like Luton. They're going to want to go up and be competitive. And I think they will be competitive. I think if I was to make a split, you know, split judgment right now, I would say they'll probably finish in the bottom three, but that's without um, that's without knowing uh, who you know, other, other clubs recruitment in the Premier League as well as Luton's for for the coming season. But they're gonna they're gonna make it as very as difficult as possible for for other teams. You look at Blackpool when they went up thirteen years ago, they took it to the last game of the season. I think Luton will be in a, in a similar camp, um, and I think having the the, the Kenny as well. Is going to be is going to be really important. I think having a stadium like that, where it's on top of the fans, a bit like Fratton Park um, for Portsmouth when they came in the Premier League, came up to the Premier League all those years ago. Crystal Palace as well with Selhurst Park grounds with with um, with fans on top of on top of teams. Yeah, can make it certainly yeah, a very uncomfortable experience for the for the visiting teams. And I think it's going to play a big role in in how Luton do next season. But I think they're going to be competitive. They've got all the credentials that a lot of Premier League teams. Typically, don't like their physicality, their energy, their work rate. I think it can overwhelm some teams, especially at Kenilworth Road. So, yeah, I think they'll be competitive. Maybe a bottom three finish, but as long as they are swinging, doesn't matter. I think Luton will surprise people next season. I, I have no doubt they'll be the favourites with the bookies to go down, and I imagine they'll be in virtually everyone's bottom three in their league table predictions. But this is an extraordinarily well-run club. They're in the same category as your. Brighton's and Brentford's where the recruitment is just consistently spot on and it's been spot on now for years and they've been doing that on a shoestring budget now they've got Premier League money they've got the you know trillion pounds deal that they've run from winning this game or whatever however much money it is they don't need a shoestring budget anymore so that's not holding them back anymore imagine how good their recruitment will be without that limitation so is some of the the squad capable of playing in the Premier League? Probably not, but it's a great platform for them to build upon. I think their style will suit the Premier League too. Rob Edwards has shown he knows how to organise a defence. And the fast, direct style will make them a very dangerous side for teams to come up against next season. Plus, the Kenny. Will teams fancy an away trip on a cold Tuesday night to Luton? Who knows? So, I fancy Luton to stay up and possibly even do it quite comfortably depending on how they do recruit over the summer because that's going to be the important thing without a doubt and we've spent the last few minutes talking a lot about Luton Justin we need to remember Coventry also played in this game the last two losers in player finals have finished in the bottom half the following season how do you think Coventry will be shaping up next season I think they'll finish in the top half. They're going to lose a lot of players. It's going to be a, a you know a major transition this summer. Yeah, you, you like the likes of Luke McNally, Jonathan Panzo, Callum Doyle, the the wing backs, Wilson Elbrand, uh, Norton Cuffey. They're going to go back to their parent clubs. 
that's the, you know, they're going to have to replace those players. Giocarez, with a year left on his contract, may well get sold this summer. Hamer the same. I think Hamer showcased you know why he's the beating heart of this Coventry City team in that midfield. Um, and again, he might have potential suitors as well, which might be too 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 much to turn turn away from from a Coventry City perspective. That being said, it, Mark Robbins might well convince them both to stay for another year and go again. Um, but I, I certainly expect him to at least finish in the top half. But nonetheless, I think this is. Yeah, if we're, if we're going to swing a playoff final defeat in a, in a positive way, Coventry City are very early on in a in, in a very new chapter under Doug King, and I fully expect them to to build positively upon uh, uh, with him um, as as the owner and ch- uh, chairman, along with Mark Robbins as manager. So, yeah, this is this is just the beginning, I think, from from a Coventry City perspective. Even if even if they lose the likes of Hamer and Giocres under Mark Robbins, they can go anywhere. Yeah, I think out of the four teams in this year's playoffs. Coventry had the most at stake. The other three, I would expect to be fighting promotion again next season. Coventry, I'm not too sure on. The main reason for that is pretty simple. Victor Jokeres is almost certainly going, and I won't be surprised if Gustavo Hamer followed him out the door. I've done the maths, and Coventry have only scored 12 goals this season, which weren't either scored or assisted by one of those two. Strikers and midfielders who can do essentially everything and are available for a championship side this summer. They don't grow on trees, those kind of (laughs) players, do they? So I really struggle to see how they're going to replace them. And to be fair, Coventry's recruitment has been very good for quite some time now. So they might be able to fill the void somewhat. Mark Robbins, also an outstanding manager, and he's done an outstanding job for a long time. And the Doug King era starting is going to be a massive positive too. But how will they do next season? Right now, I struggle to see them making the playoffs again. They may even struggle to mount up a serious challenge for them. But it's worth saying, Coventry have quite the record for surpassing all expectations, despite all the obstacles in their way. So who knows, Justin? Exactly. Who knows? I think, again, this is the key thing with Mark Robbins is he's got the ability to, as you pointed out, defy expectations. And I think if they can replace those lone players, either with permanent signings or... Or, or, or more loan, loan players or maybe even bring one or two in permanently um, if they've got the opportunity to do it then then yeah that Coventry will be more than competitive again next season but uh, you know if we're talking about it right now it's just that major transition that they've got coming up this summer that's that's going to be too hard to predict where they come out of it at the other end when, when pre-season starts or, or when the season starts so I think Mark Robbins is, is the key here. He's certainly the key. And I think if, um, as long as well, he's going to stay, sign a new deal, as long as he's at the club, Coventry are going in the right direction. Yeah, I, well, Mark Robbins has had that. He's one of those managers who's seen a continuous rise in yeah. each season in charge of Coventry anti. Considering they finished fifth this season, I struggle to see them topping that as things stand, unless they pull an absolute blinder this summer with recruitment, which they may very well do because they've done some very good recruitment in recent years. Um, I don't see that happening again, but we'll wait and see. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and we'll begin with Russell Martin, who's set to be appointed the new Southampton manager, leaving Swansea City. This is such a big story that Justin and I were going to do a special episode discussing it when he was appointed, but for some reason it's still not been announced yet and I've no idea why. Maybe they're just waiting for us to release an episode so this all instantly goes out of date. Uh, But we're both big fans of him, aren't we, Justin? What do you think of the move from a Southampton point of view? 
From a Southampton point of view, they're getting a young coach who has a progressive style of play. He's got good ideas, Russell Martin, and he's and he's proved that he's capable of managing under certain constraints and delivering uh, with expectation. Now, there are two sides of the coin with Russell Martin. Whether they are. I think there are people who rate him and there are people who are sceptical of him, and that's absolutely fine. I think I sort of sit between. Yeah, I, I do highly rate him, but I do understand that there are a lot of a lot of flaws that he needs to work out as well. But as I say, Southampton are getting a highly progressive coach with a lot of potential. He's worked with teams with small budgets and delivered expectation, and he's improved players doing so as well. That's a key thing, and yeah, they're they're big ticks in a box. Big ticks in a box coming um, when you're when your football club who are on a on a, a downward trend like Southampton are. They need someone to come in, change things, go again, like Burnley and and Vincent Kupney. Could the same happen with Russell Martin Southampton? Maybe. Maybe. I think it's an excellent and very sensible appointment, which says to me Southampton have got their heads screwed on, which doesn't always happen when teams get relegated from the Premier League. People who don't follow Swansea may look at where they finished and go 15th last season, 10th this season. Why have they gone for this guy? But that would be completely discounting what Russell Martin has had to deal with. He got very little backing at Swansea. Hopefully, he now gets that out of Southampton. The style of play is exactly what you need as well as a side fighting for promotion. They will dominate games and Russell Martin's got better players at his disposal now to implement that style, which is going to be very exciting to see. I think Southampton fans will love the style of play that he'll be bringing to the St Mary's Stadium. Um, Is a bit of a concern about how leaky Swansea have been in the Russell Martin era. They've continuously in the last two seasons been at the top of the, or near the top rather, of the uh, goals conceded charts. But maybe that's something that will improve now. He's got more of a backing and uh, better players at his disposal. Um, I suppose you always will concede quite a few goals with the way that you play and you will be taking quite a few risks at the back. But yeah, it's something that he definitely needs to work on. What about Swansea, Justin? What's it mean from their perspective losing out on Russell Martin? (laughs) I, I don't know. I say I don't know, and it's not very good of a championship podcast to not to give that sort of response. But it really does depend what mood the border in. I think if they want to be, if they want to be um, ambitious, if they want to show ambition, and they want to back a new manager coming in, they need to go out and really show the supporters that they they mean business. And I don't I don't know if they've done that in the last three or four years. To be honest with you, to for me to convince to be convinced by that. But there are names that I throw in the hat that if I'm on that Swansea board and I am ambitious, I'd be busting everything to go and get that manager. Steven Schumacher at Plymouth would be the perfect fit. I think, you know, played three at the back, similar to Russell Martin, progressive, played through the middle, utilised the wide areas with wing backs again. It seems a perfect, perfect, uh, perfect match in that sense. Um, but I just don't know if the Swansea board are convincing me enough that they'll go out and, and get that manager I've seen Greg Beholter linked I think he's the US uh, US team coach not exactly convinced by that to be honest with you I think there are other managers out there who can grab the uh, grab the mantle from Russell Martin or the or the you know, what's the thing with the um, relay races what's that called the baton the baton the baton yeah you grab <laughs> the baton from Russell Martin and go again essentially and I don't think Greg Beholter or or yeah, someone, uh, an appointment like that would would would, um, would do. Yeah, I think it just depends on how ambitious the Swansea board is and they don't convince me that they are. 
Do you think Siri Schumacher would leave Plymouth to go to Swansea? I, I don't think I don't think that's a massive step up for him at this point, is it? This is the key question: Is will Stephen Schumacher be convinced that this is the right move for him, given the issues that Russell Martin had with the board? The board have got to do a lot to convince a, an up-and-coming manager that they are the right club for them, and this is why I'm I'm, I'm a little bit sceptical as to whether or not the board can do that because they they had a good manager in Russell Martin, and then they failed to back him in the last two transfer windows, which ultimately held them back and held Russell Martin back as well in in in, in terms of what he could actually achieve with this team. He's achieved a fair amount with very little. Will a manager want to come in and be in those circumstances that Russell Martin had, battling with the board, battling to get players through the door, battling to keep players as well? I don't know if they're an attractive club at the moment. Yeah, well, I'd agree. I don't think there were many Swansea fans blaming Russell Martin for leaving. The club had the chance to commit to him by renewing his contract, but they didn't let it run down to the last year. And now Swansea have got quite a busy summer ahead all of a sudden. They need a new manager first and foremost, and that's, this appointment is going to be so important for the future of the club. To be fair, they've had an excellent record with appointing managers in the last few years, but they need a new chief exec as well. So whether that record continues, I don't know. They haven't got any fullbacks, need a new goalkeeper, could be selling their top goal scorer from the past two seasons and haven't got any other strikers. And they've shown a reluctancy to sign players in the last couple of transfer windows. So I'm a bit concerned about Swansea all of a sudden. I was feeling more optimistic than downbeat on them after the season ended. That's quickly changed in a matter of weeks. And I mean, they're nowhere near as bad as some clubs. There are plenty of others who are in much worse positions Mm -hmm. than them. But they've got quite a lengthy to-do list. And it's a very alarming start to the summer from a Swans perspective. Wigan have been given yet another points deduction. They've been docked four points, so we'll start next season in League One with minus eight points. It's because the club's owner failed to lodge the money to cover the club's next wage bill by Wednesday's deadline. In a statement, Wigan said they were extremely disappointed with the latest deduction and will consider taking legal action. Uh, Justin, I think we both rated Wigan's chances of bouncing back next season relatively well. It's not the case anymore, is it? What a farce this is. Yeah, massive farce. Not really surprised. I sit on the, the fence where, or the side of the fence with, with probably the AFL probably doing the right thing. Um, but it is the fans that suffer. The fans the fans are in in the middle of a, not a battle, but certainly the wrong end of, wrong end of some poor decisions and some punishments being dished out by the AFL and poor decisions by their ownership. Uh, yeah, it's it's a farce, but it's, it's unfortunately it's only it's spearheaded by a very incompetent um, football club ownership. Yep, don't personally understand what the EFL are doing at this point. They're just continuously giving them a point deduction. I mean, what is that really solving? It's like kicking a homeless man on the ground. It's and it's probably going to keep happening, which is the big concern for me. The owners have shown that they can't be trusted because they've made numerous false promises at this point. So the EFL has to take action against them, not the club. I don't see why it's the fault of the fans or the players, the managers, because they're the ones who are ultimately being punished for this, really. The way things are going, Wigan could end up starting the season on minus double figures, because it wouldn't surprise me again if this happened multiple times over the summer before the season starts. So... 
that's not going to make them a very attractive proposition for a new owner to come in, is it? If they're a club starting on minus, I don't know, 16 points or whatever at the start of next season. It's just punishing the fans, punishing the players, punishing Sean Maloney for something that's not their fault and they have no control over. So I don't, I think the FL needs to step up at this point because the situation's getting very, very problematic. I, I agree to an extent. I think the EFL are, are quite rightly punishing an incompetent ownership, but as you say, the, the club are suffering. But unfortunately, the uh, the owners own the club, and you know the sanctions are going to make the owners stand up and go, "Well, we can't keep missing deadlines that are set by the EFL because it keeps happening." Well, well, what else can the EFL do? I don't think there's any guidelines or, or, or rules in them for in, in place to, you know, there's no they can't take over the club. They can't. Um, they can't you know, post financial restrictions on them. They can maybe give them a business plan, and that's by the sounds of things. Is the, is the they've already the, done that? They? And it's well, just exactly, exactly. So what else? What else can the EFL do? They can't force. Uh, they can't force a sell through. They can only. Um, they can only punish them via point deductions, and then hopefully that makes the owner stand up and go. Actually, our ability to sell this club is getting diminished by our incompetency. We need to start making sure we're we're, we're meeting these deadlines and. Um, and, and therefore the club won't suffer anymore and maybe we can sell the club come the end of the season because it's clearly not right for us. Well, I will admit, I, I don't really know what the FL can do because we've not really had a situation like this before where a club has repeatedly and continuously failed to pay players. Um, so I, I, I don't know what they do, to be honest, but there's got to be some sort of action and the continuous points deductions is just... It's, it's ridiculous. Like As yeah. I say, it's not clearly affecting what the owners do they are just going to keep they've kept doing this before and don't seem to care it's unsustainable it's unsustainable I mentioned last year when Derby were going through similar issues that there's a there's a system in Dutch football where um, you have to provide projections of your annual accounts 12 months prior to the season um, starting so if you're going to run into financial trouble proactiveness can come in you can you know, have be given a business plan or an embargo to stop you spending money and that's maybe where it falls in line but I think the FL have already explored these options and found that they're not suitable so it's making sure proactive measures, pro- proactive measures are in place way before these situations occur, occur um, because that's where the, the issues are is this time last year when we can start to spend a lot more than they could you know, afford that's where the issues start to arise. Let's move on to another club which has been relegated, and it's Blackpool, where Neil Critchley is back. He's been reappointed as their head coach nearly 12 months to the day that he left to become Stephen Gerrard's assistant at Aston Villa. He's since, of course, been in charge at QPR, but it's just been a pretty crap 12 months for both parties, <laughs> hasn't it? Um, but a good move, Justin, do you think? I think so. It gives um, it gives Critchley a chance to rebuild his career after some poor decision-making over the last 12 months. He was on a, such a good trajectory this time last year uh, with Blackpool, and you know personally as well. But for some reason, he, I don't know why he went to go and um, be Stephen Gerrard's devil's advocate. Justin, maybe he saw that he wasn't going to get much of a backing in the summer, and just thought, well, I don't want to stick around because we're probably not going to stay up next season. Maybe it was that. I don't know though because he defied expectations before, and I think they had a more than competitive squad to go once again. But maybe you are right. I don't know. It was just a weird, a weird decision, such a weird decision, and and unfortunately, the decision to join QPR turned out to be a bad one because it ended up in a, it being a poor spell. But I think there are a lot more issues there um, at QPR than there were for Critchley. That nonetheless, 
keep it off arms, we'll have disagreements over that, and that's absolutely fine. But as I say, Critchley's got a chance to rebuild his career, and Blackpool have got a chance to rebuild under Neil Critchley. He's still a good, young, talented coach, but a bad year doesn't make you a bad coach or a bad manager. It gives him a chance to go again, and I think that's good for both um, Blackpool and Critchley. Yeah, uh, I agree. I I wasn't too hopeful of Blackpool bouncing back uh, in League One next season, but disappointment has made me more encouraged only only ever so slightly because as you say it's not been a great year and sometimes when or more often than not when managers go back to a club and they they try to be there again but it just doesn't work and there's been many of occasions like that I suppose a good comparison though of it at working is Nathan Jones and yeah, Newton exactly. and they're quite yeah. similar in terms of their careers aren't they Critchley and Nathan Jones um so maybe it'll have that effect, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. I don't, I, I don't really know with Blackpool. I don't know what's going on there because there's not really a board at the moment, is there? Mm-hmm. Um, well, there wasn't last time I checked anyway. So getting this in was a good start and now it's just about rebuilding into it after what's been a fairly terrible year for Blackpool Football Club. In transfer news, Niall Ennis has joined Blackburn Rovers on a free transfer after rejecting a new contract at Plymouth. The 24-year-old has agreed a four-year deal with the option of a further year. Good move, Justin? I think it is. It adds an interesting option for Blackburn in the the final third. He's He's certainly a player who can work well with a partner or be flexible I think in his approach in terms of where he plays in that final third so yeah it gives it gives Blackburn a different option he's got a bit of pace about him as well which I think Blackburn lacked it's having pace but being clinical as well I know Plymouth fans have said that he's not actually that clinical but he's a forward player and what Blackburn have at the moment is I think Tyrese Dolan, Sam Gallagher, uh, Sammy Schmodix none are natural forwards although Sam Gallagher is but he doesn't have the pace that Niall Ennis has so I think it's a good a good move and um, it's that you know, low value, potential high reward coming down, uh, going down line in a couple of years' time that you know, could really benefit Blackburn. So good investment and I think um, yeah, we'll stand Blackburn because they're going forwards. Now, there have been numerous retained lists released since we last did a news section. We'll cover free agents and who's available in the coming weeks. And final bit of news, Stuart Donald is no longer a shareholder at Sunderland after selling his remaining stake to Sybil Louis-Dreyfus and Juan Sartori. He stepped down as chairman in 2020 and his shares have gradually decreased ever since. Justin, let's do the polls as the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to give their thoughts on we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So firstly, how will Luton do in the Premier League? Will they stay up, yes or no? I don't think they will. I think they'll come back down, but they'll be competitive and have a fighting spirit that we'll all, that we'll all love. I think they'll stay up. I, I think they'll surprise people. 22% of people said they will stay up. 78% said they won't. So that's quite a, quite a strong no. Yeah. How will Coventry do next season? Promotion, top six, top half, bottom half. Top half. I think top half with, if they get the summer right, they can potentially go again to have a bit of a skirmish at the playoffs once again. Yeah, yeah. I think I'll be looking at top half as well. 53% of people said top half, 21% said top six, 21% said bottom half, 5% said promotion. And finally, who do you want to get promoted from League One, Barnsley or Sheffield Wednesday? So if we get Barnsley back, we get Carlo back on to talk about the podcast and we all love Carlo mm. um, Watering, great guy but then Sheffield Wednesday big club it's always helpful to have those big clubs in the championship so I'm on the fence with this one Mayside with Wednesday though 
I think Wednesday, just because that comeback in the uh, semi-finals was just ridiculous against Peterborough. So there is that. Also, I mean, Sheffield Wednesday have been in top two for pretty much all season, haven't they? So it it would feel right with me. It would feel like justice would be done if they got promoted. (laughs) So I'll I'll side with Wednesday. 60% of people said Wednesday. 40% said Barnsley. Now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Someone asked Justin to name eight of a certain subject. All he's got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, and he would say Villa, that's one down, and then Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin would say Weymouth, he'd be, well, he'd lose a life. Uh, so all he needs to do is give me all eight answers. Justin, this week, Simon Grayson is giving you three lives on this one, so you can afford to get two wrong. Happy with that? Yeah, love you, Simon. Thank you. Southampton have announced Russell Martin as their new manager, or set to anyway. I'm looking forward to commentating on them next season with Russ Martin in charge. But what about their past, Justin? Can you name for me the previous eight permanent Southampton managers prior to Russell Martin? Just a quick asterisk. Ruben Sellers does not count because he's interim. What an incredible, incredible topic you've chosen for, no disrespect Southampton, a very unforgettable team over the last few years. <laughs> unforgettable. Sorry, forgettable. <laughs> so unforgettable. Um, Justin, hit me with a manager, please. Big Ralph, Ralph Hasenhutl. Yep, he was there for four years. He's the longest serving Southampton manager since Chris Nickel in 1991. Um, I was surprised when I saw that he'd been there for nearly four years. It feels like a long time. Uh, that's one down. Seven to go, Justin. Mauricio Pellegrino. What an unbelievable shout that is. The Argentine came from Alaves in Spain, lasted nine months. I always thought they appointed him because his name sounds like another Southampton uh, manager from uh, the past. But uh, that's two down, Justin. What a shout that is. I don't know who he took over from, but uh, I think Mark Hughes is in this. He's in here somewhere, isn't he? Yep. He was the third most recent manager. Won five from 27 games. <laughs> Sorry, that's bad. (laughs) (laughs) Three down. I thought it was only there for three games. Um, Yeah, that's that's bad. Three down. Uh, Who did? Who came in after Pochettino? Christ, no, this is gone. Drawing drawing blanks here. I'll go Mm. Pochettino. Yeah, I think he's surely got to be in there, hasn't he? Yep, he's the seventh most recent. Made his name at Southampton, really, didn't he? Spent a year and a half there before going to Spurs. You're halfway there, Justin. Nigel Atkins, you can't forget Nigel Atkins. Yep, he's the eighth most recent. Took them from League One to the Premier League. The last manager to achieve back-to-back promotions in the Championship. Uh, that means you've got five, Justin. Three remaining. Yeah, this is where it gets sticky. It's very, this is the, these are the years where they didn't really do much Southampton. No, they did. They got to Europe. Claude Puel is one of them. Most miserable man in the world, bar me. Fantastic, he's one. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with that. Had a pretty good spell at Southampton, actually, but a very boring man. You're very right. Um, that means you've got two left. Hmm. Now, now I'm stuck. Now I am stuck. Um, we'll point out you're probably forgetting their most successful manager from this period. Really? Yep. Got to They got to a League Cup final, didn't they, during this period? I don't know which manager that was, uh, I will be honest. Most successful manager during this period? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You said Pochettino. 
I'm done. I don't know. Most, what? Have you got any? 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 Do you want to just throw a manager out there? Perhaps? Nathan Jones. Oh my God, Nathan Jones. Yeah, Nathan Jones isn't the most successful manager from no. this period. Um, he was there for four months in what was a bizarre and fairly disastrous spell. Having said that, he's got the best win rate out of the last four Southampton managers. Um, one remaining, Justin, and it's the most successful one. It's the most successful one. and it, uh, I can't believe there are no, forgot there are this no, guy. There are no clues in Simon Grace neither, which is... Unhelpful. I mean, um, I've, I've I've given you as much help as I possibly can. Yeah, you have. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you've got free lives, so you may as well throw some random names out there. Arsene Wenger. <clears throat> nope. Oh damn! Thought I had that one. Um, throw another one out. Harry Redknapp. No. <laughs> one more. Paul Lambert. It wasn't Paul Lambert. Cannot believe you forgot him. Ronald Koeman. Oh, Koeman. Yeah. Did excellently at Southampton. Guided them to a seventh and sixth place finish. Their highest league finish since 1985. Yeah, that's bad, that is. That is bad. I can't believe you got Mauricio Pellegrino, but not Ronald Koeman. That is insane. I'm a hipster. I prefer the... uh... (laughs) Yeah, the uh, the, unfit, the, the Yeah, when I, when I put this list together, I completely forgot about Pellegrino. But there you go, ladies and gentlemen. This has been Simon Grace and Tate Flake. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. The Championship season has come to an end. What a season it has been. But, ladies and gentlemen, despite the season coming to an end, the content does not stop here, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, no, 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 no. We'll be back again on Thursday for an episode. Can't remember what we've got planned, but there's going to be an episode out on Thursday of some sort. So we look forward to speaking to you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Big congratulations to Luton, commiserations to Coventry City, and a big thank you for listening. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness <laughs> this was like wilderness a lot of laughs y'all weird but you <laughs> yeah, you you were different like you were real different, bro. i can't really put my finger on it and so much more just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip roundabout season two presented by nissan is live now with new episodes rolling out every thursday listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.